Welcome to Season 6 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? Want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This episode is part two of a special two-part series on the latest issue of New Directions for Student Leadership titled Leadership Education Through Complex Transitions. In this episode, we're joined by two of the issue's eight co-editors, Jessica Chung and Christy D. Navarro. Well, hello and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock. Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University, and we are both thrilled about today's episode of the podcast with NDSL Special Issue Co-Editors Christine D. Navarro from UC Davis and Jessica Chung from Minnesota, who recently edited Volume 2021, Issue Number 172, released in the winter, entitled Leadership Education Through Complex Transitions. So so before I jump into welcoming you to the show, I do want to give our listeners a little bit of background. Um, So this is a, a special two-part series of a special series partnership that we have with the New Directions uh, co-editors, uh, Dr. Kathy Guthrie and Dr. Susan Comaves. Um, so this time we're speaking with two editors, two co-editors in two different episodes. I hope my guests can follow, I hope our guests can follow that. Um, we've wanted to give y'all, since there were a number of you as listed as co-editors, a lot of space to really voice your experience and your learning from, from that space. So while there are, I believe, eight total editors, I know we'll have four just talking about this issue, and then we've had three of those folks in the past. So Michelle, Carrie, and Kathy have been on in prior capacities. And so just so everybody has a little background of kind of why we're doing this, um, this is just, it's a partnership that grew out of, I believe, like NASPA podcast used to do this, and then they kind of stopped publishing, and we were already talking to NDSL editor, co-editors and editors anyway. It just kind of made sense for this for us to formalize this partnership. So that's a little bit of background. Um, We're also celebrating about a year doing this. So our first episodes uh, were recorded and aired in February of 2021. We've had past editors, uh, Dr. Mark Horowitz and Rachel Thompson. They talked about followership education. We had Drs. Krista Soria and Matt Thompson talk about evidence-based practices in leadership development. We had Dr. Songa Ardouin talk about leadership learning in social class. And then more recently, Drs. Jasmine Collins and Rich Whitney discussed advancing racial equity in leadership. And so we're excited for you all today. We want to officially, after all that background, welcome both Christy and Jessica to the show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Happy to be here. We're excited to dive into the conversation. And so we were chatting just before we started recording it as a group here that uh, we were all definitely all four of us. And I don't think we knew this before we started that having that conversation. We're all at the Association of Leadership Educators uh, annual conference in 2016 at Sacramento. And it was uh, definitely the first, the, the only time that we can, that we know for certain we were all in the same physical space, um, but we've had opportunities to interact and, and learn from each other and see each other at conferences and whatnot uh, since then, for sure. So I'm wondering though, if, if y'all wouldn't mind just sharing maybe like two or three things about yourself that uh, folks might not be able to find in your bios that they would see on, you know, either LinkedIn or on your, your university websites. Well, I'll go first because I think mine's going to be very easy because I'm one of those 
people uh, who really is not engaged in social media, which is, I know, a shocker in this day and age. So there's lots. <laughs> it would be really hard, people, you know, to find something something um, about me. But again, I'm just so delighted to be here. Um, I uh, do work um, at UC Davis, um, so I'm Christy Navarro, and um, my time at Davis has just been amazing. I'm going on 18 years, which I can't believe it. Um, but some things um, about me is um, I am an avid Harry Potter fan. You know, I'm just, I nerd out over Harry Potter. I love gardening. And um, I, before COVID, you know, I was an avid traveler. And so that was always, that's kind of my hobby was traveling. So I hope to get back to that soon. So I hope that's what you're looking for, Dan that's and Lauren, but I'm pretty boring and, but that's me. <laughs> Christy, that is unacceptable. You're not boring. Um, <laughs> uh, Jessica Chung, she, her, and I uh, grew up in, in Minnesota and that's where I work, the University of Minnesota. I am right now the acting director of our leadership minor program. And normally I'm the curriculum and instruction coordinator. Um, for that role, um, I, I do use social media. So there's a lot of stuff out there uh, about me, but <laughs> things that you would not know from like my leadership educator lens is that I love dancing. It's just one of those things that makes me feel the most free. And I started later in my life and it's just been such a joy. Um, I have been bullet journaling since 2015. It is more of like a way of life at this point. So if you are aware of that world, hit me up. And I write with a 0.38 millimeter pen. Y'all who use the 0.7, I don't know how you all do it. Those 1.0s, that is, you might as well just be using a marker at that point. I don't understand, you know. <laughs> This this makes me wish I had done like a like a leadership like social podcast meeting. It's us talking about our non leadership education lives because I too love bullet journaling, but I I yeah I do, but I'm not into it like wild. Like I look at the Pinterest boards, but I actually have a digital notebook, and and but I'm laughing at your your point reference because my my electronic pen you have to replace the the like pen tips. And when it gets too wide, I get irritated. And so the, yeah, yep. So, you so again, your own handwriting. what is that? Yeah. Right. And I already write kind of fat anyway. So I need the, but it's neither here nor there, but we can oh, have that, Lord. that conversation later. Oh. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, so I, what a wonderful question. Cause if we were chuckling at a conference, some of these things would actually come up in our lives. Like, especially the dancing, I'm tempted to do like one of those mom hip hop classes where they keep you entertained while they're dancing. Like your child is dancing in the other room. So you learn a routine and then you perform at the ballet musical dance concert. Um, I don't have any daughters, so I'd have to figure it out, but anyway, Right. We can, we can talk offline about that. Um, so, so back to our topic, the, the bullet, the bullet journal, the uh, NDSL issue of the journal. Um, can you just start off by sharing a little bit of, with our audience about the, the co-inquiry process? So, you know, we know that it was a big part of this uh, project. Can you talk just kind of how did it come about and then how did you use it throughout the process of editing this issue? I loved the concept of co-inquiry because um, something that's really intimidated me about academic writing in the past is just how, first of all, there's like, you know, the set editor and then you talk about topics and you get assigned a topic and you write about it. And when Kathy 
approached me about it, it sounded more like a conversation with other brilliant people who wanted to tackle a big problem and that we would figure it out together and walk alongside. And that was really appealing to me because I think that's where we really find solutions or new ideas in conversation. And, and that's what really appealed to me. And when you get that many perspectives in a room, you really start to surface what is ripe, what is important. And then you use that as a way to figure out a way forward. And I, so I think about the co-inquiry process as a navigation tool. And what we happened to write about was what was our next step in leadership education. That's what we thought. But you can use co-inquiry as a navigation tool for anything. And if, as long as you follow the process, whatever results you know, are your results, and I think it's such a powerful tool to have when things are messy and complicated and you're going to work with multiple people to figure out what to do. Um, so repeatable in, in many other cases, what, what happened and what unfolded just happened to be our journal edition, if that makes sense. Yeah, I just, I totally agree with that, um, Jessica. And I um, was, you know, invited, you know, to have this conversation and um, just the fact of, you know, um, having that invitation from Carrie and Kathy to join. And um, for me, you know, not having in my career really aspiring to um, publishing, um, that, that's never been, I'm more of a practitioner, right? I love to research and I, I um, love to um, soak up, you know, the literature um, that's out there, but I'm more of, you know, operationalizing it and being a practitioner. And so the thought of engaging in research has always been so intimidating for me. However, this co-inquiry process, I think, was such a welcoming first step and it didn't feel intimidating. It didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to crunch all these numbers and how am I going to do that? And just the fact of, again, having being invited to the table, you know, was just so empowering because again, you know, I've, I'm not a published person. I'm not a, a well, you know, researcher. And so, um, and as Jessica mentioned, you know, it was, it did turn into just so much more of a conversation and I expected, you know, to, to learn and to help um, be with other colleagues and unpack what does it mean to be a leadership educator in, in these turbulent times. But I just gained so much more, so much more personal um, development and awareness. I cannot, did not even imagine the relationships that grew out of this process with these other seven groups of people. And I'm just literally forever changed by the process. Um, and yes, the co-inquiry model, you know, was a guide for us, but just to, the freedom, you know, to explore and to always come back and you know, to, to question and learn from one another was just a beautiful, a beautiful um, thing I experienced. You know, I, that's one of the things I've always admired about Susan and, and, and Kathy's process is their ability to, as you mentioned, you know, Christy saying, you know, hey, I, it's not part of my expectations of my job is to, to go out and publish. And, and a lot of times that is, that is, I mean, more often than not, that's the case with uh, student affairs professionals. And I know that it's been a a narrative that that we've had within leadership education spaces of how do we get individuals that are working in some of these spaces that are not faculty roles to to write and to get their perspectives out there and share their experiences because unfortunately there aren't 
enough forums for that that type of uh, of sharing. And you know, we that was something certainly that Lauren and I talked about when we were starting the podcast. Is like, how do we make sure that we've got a nice balance of of voices, whether you know diversity in all its forms, from roles to backgrounds to you know where they are on on this on this globe and and what have you, because we can learn so much from from that. And that was that was part of my early introduction to the leadership education field, where I was just an adjunct faculty member working as an uh, as an academic advisor at University of South Florida and, and saw that there was partnership between our College of Undergraduate Studies that did like first-year academic programs and a bunch of other types of, you know, general ed types of things and student affairs. And so for me, like my introduction was, oh, these two groups always work together. And then I go to like my first conference, they're like, yeah, they don't usually do that. Or there's just not as much conversation or partnership or dialogue or, or what have you. And so for me, I, and, and I've shared this before when, um, well, I guess with with colleagues, usually I share with my student affairs colleagues at uh, the university versus my faculty colleagues. But when I got to to Southern Maine, like I mu- I felt much more comfortable around folks in student affairs than I did my faculty peers because those are people that I had worked with at my previous institution. Like, I didn't know what it meant to be a faculty member, like a full time faculty member. Are you kidding? Like, and I was one of the youngest faculty members at the entire institution. You know, so and, and I mean I don't want to belabor all that, but just like. I would always, I learned so much from my peers that were in student affairs and going to conferences. Like I would go to sessions specifically that were led by folks in student affairs because, you know, I'm like, y'all are in the trenches. Like you're meeting with the students in different ways and you're doing this type of programming and, and what have you. And um, I found that I was kind of an outlier in that, uh, in that aspect. But in any case, kudos to y'all for, for being involved in this project. Cause it's, cause it's a lot, it's a lot to write these and to edit these and and the whole thing. And specifically, so one of the chapters that y'all dive into and, and that you actually co-author, let's see, that's chapter four. And the title is uh, Leader Identity, Resisting Conformity and Reconstructing How We Define Leaders. So, and y'all were also active in many of the, many of the other chapters too, in co-authoring and what have you, which I think is another great thing about this, this issue. Um, but in this chapter four, Specifically, y'all wrote about using co-inquiry to better understand the identity of the leadership educator. So I'm curious, like what about some things that you might share with our audience about, about that chapter? And, and maybe as you're thinking about that, how do we resist this leader and like leadership conformity through pedagogy? And maybe are there some ways that y'all have started doing this more so or been more mindful of it in the academic courses or the programs that y'all facilitate? You asked like five questions there. Yes, um, <laughs> yes. My, my students love that. They're like, yeah, they're like, really? Like in the assignment, like their weekly responses or whatever. It's like, so there were three questions, but really like with Jenkins, it's always like three A, B, C, one, two, you know, it ends up being there. And I just, yeah. Anyway, so yes, I am guilty of that. I own that. <laughs> oh, I've, I totally understand. Um, what inspired me to kind of take lead on that chapter with Christy is my own experience around my journey toward seeing myself as a leader, seeing myself as a leadership educator, because when I first started learning how to teach, I stumbled into it. I thought I would just randomly give it a chance. And I co-taught with my mentor for a year. And I thought, wow, he's really amazing. Um, I don't know if I could do this. And then I started learning how to be a a teacher with the leadership minor at University of Minnesota. And I co-taught with my friend, Ben. And I was like, this is cool. I don't know if I can do it. I observed a master teacher, David Hellstrom, who I adore. And I'm like, he's a unicorn. I can't do this. And then I finally was like, okay, sure. I'll teach solo. And that was the first time that I ever really realized that like my approach 
was also working. But in comparison to the examples that I had, which were all older white men, I thought that if that was the definition, I wasn't meeting that definition. And if I hadn't, if they hadn't like wanted to place me, I don't know if I would have self-selected into that, right? Like, so I didn't see anybody like me, young like me, who was youthful and playful in my in my way of teaching. Um, so I thought you only had one way to be. And I think that's the same thing for leadership, same thing for, for our students who think like, oh, I, I shouldn't even take this class or do this program because I'm not a leader. I don't know what you're talking about. And cultures that don't even have the word leader in it. So how, how do you actually expand that definition? Well, um, for our classes, we have presence grades and we would give feedback and coaching and stuff around that engagement. And a couple years, maybe two years into being a teacher, I was giving some coaching to a student who looked me in the eyes and was like, Jessica, I'm not. I'm not ever going to be that. I am Dennis Rodman. I'm never going to be Michael Jordan. And he said, I know where I'm good. And it's in the supporting role. And that was the first time I was really like, holy shit, I am trying to coach people into becoming more of myself rather than more of themselves. And um, so ever since then, it's been much more of an open definition of like, you got to figure out what your gifts and contribution are and then you also have to learn how to expand what you're seeing as gift and contribution right so um that becomes a big part of our class as a second course out of four and they do that in their feedback work where they identify contributions that they notice in other people and like make requests of each other because part of it is trusting that you have something to offer and and helping other people do the same thing and and that is in my dreams everybody would feel like they have contribution and that they can see how other people are contributing. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. This is why I love working with you and uh, partnering with you, not only on, you know, this article, but just, you know, through the whole process. Um, You know, I, I have um, uh, similar experiences of, you know, really struggling to find my own identity in as a leadership educator. And I don't even personally like to use the word educator or teacher or instructor. I use the word facilitator. Um, By no means am I an expert. um, Do I know it at all? Know it all. And I think by um, trying to tackle that hierarchy that does happen in the learning space. Um, I definitely try and position myself more as a facilitator because I truly believe and I communicate, you know, um, constantly to the students that I'm, you know, um, honored, you know, to that walks through our doors and wants to learn something, you know, from myself and my colleagues and interns um, with our program at Davis. Um, they, I truly believe they have the skills and the knowledge and the ability and the passion, the drive. I'm just trying to help them, you know, connect to that. Um, so working at a research one institution, and, you know, I mentioned earlier at the start um, that I've been on campus for almost 18 years and 17 of those years have been with the leadership education and development program. So I'm, I'm an old timer. Um, But I have always um, tried to position our program on campus as um, the space that 
welcomes all students and really driving um, messaging and programming around, you know, non-positional leadership, right? And so trying to steer away from this formality of what it means to be a leader. And um, I think this is one reason why too with this chapter that um, I was able to work with Jessica on, I think we were really trying to get at that is how do we break down these um, narratives around what it means to be a leader, you know, what that looks like, um, not only for ourselves, but, you know, especially for the students that we work with. And so I, um, you know, struggled to find my own identity being again at a research one institution and, you know, oh, I only have a master's degree and, oh, I don't have many awards and accolades. And I, and I mentioned, I never published. I mean, this is the, the first issue I've ever have worked on. And I was willing to do that again because I wasn't alone, right? And I was with, you know, these wonderful people. And so, you know, it's been very challenging. And also, don't get me wrong, I love Davis. Obviously, I've been there for 18 years. I'm, I don't want to go anywhere. But also, it is a research one institution. And the um, sciences, you know, and hard sciences are STEM, you know, is the focus. And so, having a program, a leadership program, you know, that's kind of poo-pooed and like, oh, that's touchy-feely stuff, or those are the soft skills, you know, we don't need to focus on that. It's really hard, you know, to find and navigate your way on a campus like that. And so, you know, over the years, you know, I've just learned that um, what I contribute, you know, the impact I have on students matters. And, um, you know, just trying to again, find your voice to continue day by day and uh, trying to impact the students, right, that, that you work with and do choose to walk through through your doors. Congratulations on your first publication. If we had like fancy sound effects, we would like put the hand claps in there for you right now. But we are virtually all sending those vibes. How amazing. Um, you. you know, I feel like you it's so interesting that you share that um because I was just, so I often go to our, our teaching and learning workshops <clears throat> and this divide happens between like the sciences, like the STEM and then like the social or everybody else. And for the first time yesterday, I actually heard kind of this potential merge, but I feel like you've been doing this work for, for years. It, it in conjunction with the work that engineering and like the hard sciences have been doing. And so you do it, we realize that it's great opportunity. Um, yesterday, this engineering faculty member was saying like, well, we don't, we don't talk about soft skills. And I'm like, well, they're not soft, they're hard. That's why everybody struggles with them. But that's also my own personal opinion. That is, you know, not anywhere, you know, but whatever I, but I share that in it's like, my first thought is like, well, it's okay. Like, I'm hoping your students are involved in like student leadership programs or student activities or because they still need those skills regardless. But for years, student affairs practitioners and professionals have been supplementing that work in the classroom so that they can focus on that piece. I'm not saying it doesn't need to be in there, but I feel like I have faith that at least if someone got them to the student affairs space, they're able to get that experience. And we all know I'm former student affairs professional myself, we all know that our work gets done and we all know that we touch students. And so it's nice that in this art, this journal process, there's this beautiful merger of both sides. And it feels like for both of you, as well as for our conversations with others, it felt very welcoming 
Um, the other part is there seems to be this like personal experience that you don't normally hear from editing and a journal issue. Does that, and I mean, I don't want to put anything on y'all, but, but do you feel this personal aspect and, and is this new and granted I've never co-edited a journal, so I don't know, Dan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You seem to make friends with everybody that you write with, but it just seems like right now, like, like John Wang said, you know, this saved me during COVID and it just seemed like this was the perfect thing for y'all. Um, but it was almost like this unexpected bonus that was needed to get through this time. Am I wrong? You can tell no. me if I'm wrong. It's okay. No, no, I'm literally wrong. tearing up right now. I'm literally tearing up and thinking and reflecting back on this experience, but Jessica, you go first. Oh, <laughs> um, I lived in Minneapolis at the time that we started doing this process in June of 20. Uh, there was, you know, a couple things going on in the city and, um, it felt like I could actually do something when we came together and wanted to address what the next important steps are for leadership education. I was like, great, because we need it. Um, I was kind of in the midst of a lot. And I, whenever I work with anyone, I believe that relationships make work better. And, and when I've written before, it was with another uh, woman, Val Lutran, who we shared a lot of personal experiences and we are still friends now. And I think that relationship allows more ideas to emerge, more conversation that reveals more things. And I just do not believe in doing work. If you care about it, you should also care about the people who are doing it with you. And it just brings out so much more than you could possibly imagine. And that's the kind of attitude that I bring to any project I work on. And every week we met. And every week we opened up more and more conversation. And I kind of like to kick that door down myself. I'm just kind of like, let's just let go of all the formality, y'all. Like we are humans. Where can we find the shortest distance to our humanity? And that is through Amazon purchases, apparently. That is what we talked about. <laughs> it's like, what was your latest pandemic purchase? Um, and that just started off a whole lot of stuff, quick trust building and, um, that personal experience, because we're also talking about our, our personal past, present, and there was the pandemic and uh, the murder of George Floyd and the aftermath, it forces the conversation, right? Like you're not gonna be able to go about business as usual. Like it just forces those things down differently. And I think that's been added to that powerful experience. Yeah, you know, I, I joked about you know, tearing up, but it, it is so true. I just, um, I have never as a professional have never allowed myself to be as vulnerable, um, ever in my career to be as vulnerable as I was, um, in the co-inquiry group. Um, there was, yes, it was welcoming. It was such a, um, supportive, and trusting space. And, um, it, you know, we were together during, you know, so many milestones. So yes, COVID, you know, and the pandemic. And as Jessica mentioned, you know, um, the murder of George Floyd and, you know, the summer of 2020 and, um, you know, the, the, the spike, you know, in winter with, you know, COVID um, deaths. You know, then we started that, you know, ne next new year thinking like, okay, this is it, you know, we're going to 2021 right on, 
than were together, you know, during the uh, insurrection, you know, on the Capitol in, in January. And it just like was like this constant flood, right, that everyone in this country and in the globe was experiencing. And yet there is this this safe like space, you know, that every week, every Friday, you know, we would come together and, you know, yeah, talk about how this impacts us as professionals, as just people. And, um, you know, there were moments, it was very heavy, a lot of tears, you know, and then there is also those moments of, as Jessica mentioned, you know, fun and um, just laughter. And, you know, to this day, there are still a few of my friends in this co-anchor group I have not met in person. And so we're looking for that day for us to all be able to come together and um, continue the relationships and also continue the learning and the support. And run to beach house. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) We keep talking about this. Yes, we do. do. We're all going (laughs) to. I think it's a great idea. You know, one of the things too that that Kathy and and Susan always do that I love is um, at I mean, I know they do this at ILA. I think they've done it at ALE. They definitely do it at LEI, all, all the alphabets super doing, but they, they'll do like a new directions, just meet and greet with all the, all the authors, like anyone that's ever written in any capacity. And it's, it's like a, it's like a reunion. I mean, it's such a nice event to, to just hang out and Susan could, you know, we'll buy you a drink. Maybe if you're, maybe Kathy might too, you know, I don't know, maybe, but um, <laughs> it's just so great to, cause, cause sometimes you're right. You, you haven't, you've only corresponded with these folks via email or you've only been talk, chatting with them on zoom or certainly gosh, with the last two years, I mean, every single conference coming up is going to be like a hug fest probably. And I know that some folks are, what is, is ACPA going on right now? And the NASPA's coming up or, or maybe mm-hmm. it just, so, you know, I'm not, Unfortunately, I can't get either of those this, this year, but I'm these other ones on the horizon and I can't wait. And to reflect on something that, and Lauren, I love the way you kind of took this, this conversation about like how helpful being in like a community and having like the support that wasn't necessarily at your institution, but in your field was during this time. I mean, certainly working with you, Lauren, during this whole thing, mm-hmm. like when we started the podcast, we didn't know we were going to like go right into a pandemic. It was all going to get crazy. And because of our experiences, the things that we were able to share with each other and to process things was just so, so helpful to be able to talk through some of those things. And I'm so grateful for that. And in summer of 2020, since we didn't have the Leadership Education Academy, what we did end up doing was having these like summer conversations in July and August that were on things like actually had to pull up the old website URL or whatever, but it's like, you know, what does it mean to be a leadership educator right here, right now? Like, how do you navigate uncertainty in leadership education? What's the place of anti-racism? What are resources that leadership educators need right now? And it was all kind of feeding our own anxieties and unsuredness. I don't know if I'm making up a word, but just like all the things that we were trying to navigate and we're like, I don't know, but we can, and we, and we led each of those sessions from, we're doing our best right now, y'all. We're talking with each other, coming together with that group. And it was an international group too. We had uh, folks from Canada and, and Australia that were all experiencing different things, both the incivility and the, the pandemic and just trying to, how are y'all dealing with this? And you mentioned Carrie Priest, like kind of being like that that guide, like that sage or the shaman or whatever. She, I'm, I'm always very task oriented and she was always good with being like, but how is everybody like doing today? You know, and I'd be like, Man, you know, if you hadn't asked that, I probably would just, I wouldn't have shared. I wouldn't have been vulnerable. And like, she is so good 
with that. So Gary, if you're listening, like kudos to you again for helping us to like really talk about how we feel about these types of things. But I, I just couldn't agree with y'all more that that really, really came home with me just with the idea of like, yes, we were, we were able to get through some of these times as leadership educators in our field because of the community and the community is so important. We really try to model that for our colleagues. And when we're invited into some of these communities of practice, it's, it's, it's a blessing. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I just want to, you know, also share that with this, um, you know, the articles that we wrote in this edition, you know, this is um, our call as well of what we feel through our conversations needs to change in our field, right? We all know that not only with the pandemic, but all of the resurgence of, um, you know, calls for equity and racial justice. I mean, we are forever changed um, as a people, as a country, as a society, as a global community, even what's happening now, you know, in Eastern Europe and, I, I just, you know, I think one of the beautiful things of this, this issue is that, you know, it's a call for, you know, not only let's do something different, but the fact that we need to, and we cannot go back to, again, teaching or what I say, facilitating in the same way and viewing leadership education, what it means to engage in the leadership process, what it means to be a leader, who is considered a leader we, you know, now is that, that I think that pivotal moment in our field that we need to shift, right? And we need to do things differently. And we're starting to see that. And yes, there's lots of these conversations that are happening, not just with our co-inquiry group, but like you said, Dan, you know, just within um, our community as leadership educators, but we really need to start thinking um, uh, practically, operationally, how are we going to do something different? Yeah, I love I love what y'all have all shared simply because the pandemic provided this spark for us that opened the door for us to change. I know before, like Christy, you're right. I, we've had complex issues. We've had some feelings of chaos. Like I've, I told this story in like an earlier podcast, but when I was a young teacher, uh, I gave an exam on election day. And it was the the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump election day. And my school is very uh, there at the time. They're very liberal, very democratic. And I'm like, well, I got this big exam. I don't know what to do. And we came in class and I ended up altering the process to make it more amenable. But I, I didn't know, like I would have never known. And this was you know, years before the onset of COVID and on the onset of, of some of the, like the, the George Floyd, the Breonna Taylors, like all of these things that are starting to, to arise. And so I love that this, you know, issue came out and that we're talking about this now because the, the complexity of the chaos is going to continue. You know, we thought, I I know y'all saw the memes where it was like COVID's dying down and now we've got, you know, potentially on the brink of war, you know, all over the globe. And it's, it's, you know, like one of the questions I ask in my dissertation, I'm writing my dissertation. One of the questions I ask is kind of like, well, when does this complexity stop? And when do we stop teaching? And when do we stop running programs? Like there's a global health pandemic and the expectation isn't to stop teaching. The expectation is how can we continue teaching despite everybody's lives falling apart? Right. And so, so it's, it's interesting that we're exploring this and digging into it and, and one just humanizing it and being vulnerable and being okay with that vulnerability 
but also getting us to think about like, at what point is it enough? At what point do we actually have to stop and prioritize other things? Right. And so, you know, I, I, I love this, um, but, but I'm almost wondering in, in your exploration, how does this then transition into the work that you do in your classes or in your programs? Meaning, and, and I think Jessica, I feel like you said, like you stop and ask about Ukraine or like you stop and ask questions, but like, what does this look like in the classroom when you get started or when you're meeting with students and trying to advise them on, you know, how to navigate this current time? What does that look like for y'all? The gift of our curriculum is that you can kind of make a connection um particularly in the class that I teach we teach about you know restorative community and entering into them and how do you sustain them how do you build trust how do you use small groups as the unit of transformation and so really anything that comes up lends itself to making a connection with what is going on in the world and it depends on how the students are doing, right? With COVID, sometimes they just wanted a place to be able to go, that they're going to make friends, that they were going to talk and not just be a blank screen. And, and so they didn't want to choose the hard conversation because everything else was already hard. <laughs> um, and this is what the, the, the COVID pandemic really forced for us was this conversation about what are we measuring? What are we, why are we so obsessed with this hustle and grind and performing and rigor, whatever rigor means? And if the point is to learn, if the point is to sustain ourselves, part of that is like tending to ourselves as people. And if people don't have some of those basics covered, if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel that you care about them, then what are they really going to learn? And for me, I'm like, I'm letting go of that professional shit or whatever the, the rigor means, because these are like human beings sitting in front of me, telling me that they are struggling, they are not making connections, they feel alone. And why would I, why would I be like, oh my God, don't forget to do your writing prompt? Like what? Why? Why are, why are those systems like so rigid in a, in a way that we can't be like, oh, right. A friend of yours has died and you're asking me how to make up the points. That is a messed up system that we have created for ourselves where students are afraid to ask for a day off of class because literally someone in their life died. Um, and that is, that's something I've realized as a line for me is that like, I'm not willing to uphold the capitalist machine at the expense of people's humanity. And Sorry if people think that I'm a soft teacher, but I, I really think that's the only reason why they were able to learn anything, period, and, and continue to because we're human. We're going we're gonna to survive. The literature term is caring teaching, which we're now allowed to do. So welcome to the dark side of the caring teacher where you at. Like I ask my students when they walk in the door, how are you? How you doing? Welcome. Hey. How, you know, how was this? How was that? And they, that's what they need. And for 13 years in K through 12 education, that's most of what they had. So why now do we have to shift or why now do we have to be standoffish? So don't worry, we're, we're in the dark side, on the dark side together. I'm much more flexible. I'm one of those that, you know, used to be very rigid, right? And I used to, you know, worry about, okay, is your assignment done? And are we on track? Or no, I can't deviate from my lesson plans or my syllabus because then everything's going to implode. And this whole experience, I mean, of, you know, the pandemic and again, the conversations I've had with my colleagues has just taught me that 
yeah, we, we are, um, we're all human. Right. And so, and, and to see the, you know, the person as, as Jessica said, that's sitting across me or like, you know, that's in my window, little windows on my screen that they, you know, are a whole person. And so I too have been so much more flexible with, um, you know, meeting students, you know, where they are and helping them, you know, connect to what it is that they need. I feel that my, my level of empathy for students through this whole experience of the pandemic has just grown exponentially because, you know, I have, I had a, yes, there's a little box, a little window on my screen, but I felt, you know, I saw them in their own space in their own world. And um, it just um, really, caused me to to take a step back and rethink what is it that I'm doing? How am I approaching my work? And how do I just be, yeah, more flexible, you know? And even though internally I, I have such a deep care and love, you know, for the students that I work with and who choose, you know, to come to our programs and, um, and you know, choose to, to, to spend some time with us, right? You know, how is it that I can express that care and that concern much more openly and willingly than maybe I used to before this whole whole experience? Yeah, like deadlines, you know, and I mean, I've always been pretty compassionate and flexible, but now I feel like we have more permission and latitude to do it out loud uh, in front of other people. (laughs) And um, things like if you're going to need more time to finish this reflection, take the time. I don't want to read your bullshit. You don't want to write it. If you need an extra day in order to submit something meaningful, awesome. (laughs) It'll be better for all of us. I did not make up this assignment so that you could just make something up in the stress of a deadline. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. You know, do it because it actually means something to you. And if you need more time to do that, great. (laughs) Funny you say that, Jessica. I've taken that exact stance before. If a student's like, you know, I can try and get this to you by the end of the night, but you know, it's like, or you could take an extra day and like actually pass in something that's meaningful. Yeah, about um, we're we're, we're kindred spirits in that in that aspect. So I also am in the the spirit committee too. Uh, <laughs> it just makes me think like you know, um, I tell my my students like you better have it by the time I grade it, or if I can't accept it late, I say here's the reason why I can't accept it late. It's going to delay everybody else. So right. I want to at like I can give you about X amount of time. I'm going to get to it by this date. You got to have it by this date. Um, and I found that the more you explain something logical that makes sense to them, the better they are with it. And I also tell them, I can't help you after the fact. So if you're struggling and there's still time to turn it in, like at least send me an email to give me the option so that it doesn't look like after the fact, you know, you're trying. And and I feel like just hearing them out, it goes one, like there are many times where I've said, no, I can't accept it late, but just saying, Hey, well, what happened? Just talk to me about it. Like what? Oh yeah, you're right. That makes sense. Or just hearing them out sometimes is all they want from you. And if you can logically explain something, then they get it completely. But I feel like in the past, that's, that just hasn't been a thing, but yeah, we're all kindred spirits in that boat. Yeah. Or like if it's on the, with online classes, like the discussion board, I'm always like, if, if you're falling behind, if you can just stay on top of the discussion boards, because you got to interact with your peers, you can't go back in time. And then, you know, there'd be a dialogue because it just doesn't work like that. But I can be flexible on almost anything else, you know, depending on the the class uh, and how it's how it's organized or what happens. 
Anyway, all right. So we like I feel like we keep talking, but we, we want to keep the, the episode in a, in a reasonable time for you know for our listeners. Jessica and Chris, it's such a great conversation. We're so thankful for your time and for everything that you all have contributed to uh, the field of leadership education through this issue and with your co-editors and co-authors on the on the different chapters. You know, best of luck as you continue your work with this co-inquiry group and the community of practice um, and beyond. So just again, thank you so much for for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at lead educator pod that's l-e-a-d-e-d-u-c-a-t-o-r-p-o-d and on linkedin by searching for the leadership educator podcast you can also follow us on linkedin by name and on twitter i'm at dr underscore leadership and lauren is at m-r-s-l-a-u-r-j-b that's miss laura j-b we'd like to thank the james m cox jr institute for journalism innovation management and leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners. During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts.